0: to worship you openly and declare and proclaim that you are lord god the creator of heavens and earth and the savior of this world and as long as it is day lord may we continue to proclaim that and lord god show us now as we open your word how to live in this world as we look forward to the next one we pray this in jesus name amen all right does everybody have their bulletins oh this is last week so well anyways i would encourage you, this There's a great quote in your bulletin i don't have it uh it's about that very topic about how we as believers live in this world and the next so read that later it's a great quote from an early church father in the first century so let me read the text romans chapter one let's go through the first seven verses and then we'll come back and and talk about it it says this the apostle paul writing Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear a sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. And we'll stop there. So there's a lot. If you were like me, when I first read it, I said, but what about, but what, but what? Well, hopefully I answer all those questions about government and our responsibility to them. But I think Paul here lays out some pretty good, just practical at face value application and a a just a general rule of how we as believers are to live in light of the current government that we have or any government that we have. So let's look at just the plain understanding of it and then I, I promise you towards the end we'll answer some of those other questions about, well, what about this and what about that? So he begins by saying every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And again, if you're like me, I'm like, what does subjection mean? What does a governing authority mean? So let's begin with some definitions of these things. If you remember, the Apostle Paul obviously is writing to the church in Rome. So he's speaking to believers, but it's applicable to every person worldwide because he says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Every person, every soul, in the church and without, just a general rule. That word subjection, that may cause, like, well, what does that mean, you know? Well, it, it is often used as a military term referring to soldiers who are ranked under and subject to absolute authority of a superior officer. So... The believer is to live in subjection to those in authority. We are to rank ourselves under them and look at them as the authority for the governing of the state or wherever we live at the time. Obviously, in the first century under the Roman government, if you think you live in an oppressive government now, think of first century Rome that Paul was writing to. They had a emperor regardless of what you think of current leadership we do not have an emperor or a future leadership so he's saying you live in subjection it's the same thing that he says you know in the marriage in the marriage wives are to be the subject to their husbands in the church to be subject to the elders of the church in different institutions that god has ordered he puts order god the god we serve is a god of order that's the first thing that i want to notice in this even in governing The world, he has order. He has reasons why he puts people in leadership. So we are to recognize the positions that the leaders hold and respect it and defer to their leadership. Okay? So we're to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Governing authorities are the civil leaders. From the emperor, speaking of first century Rome now, from the emperor all the way down to those who were exacting the orders of the state from the emperor. And so that's who Paul is talking Maybe the local governors, the local leaders of the cities that they lived in. They were to obey all those governing authorities. So that's who we're talking about here. In, in, the, in our sense, we could say our president, our, our state senators, our mayors, a city council, so to speak. Those are the governing authorities, and even, I would say, by extension, as we'll see, the police officers as well. That are, And we'll see how that applies here in a moment. So every person is to be in, subject, in subjection to the governing authorities. So each and every one of us who are Christian believers as well, we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And you may be thinking, well, why should we? What if they're evil? What if they're bad? What if they tell us to do something we don't want to do? What if they tax us too much? What if somebody gets an office that I didn't vote for? How does that work? Well, I'm going to answer those questions. Here the Apostle Paul, I believe, gives us four reasons for this morning's text on why we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And I'll read these four and then we'll go back through the text and and I'll explain each one. Number one, because all authority comes from God. That's number one. Number two because God has established governing authorities. Number three, to avoid the wrath of God. And fourthly and finally, for conscience sake. All four of those are in the text that I just read. So again, number one, because all authority comes from God. Number two, because God has established the governing authorities. Number three, to avoid the wrath of God. And number four, for conscience sake. So let's go back through those now in the text and elaborate on each and every one. So let's explain the reasons. Number one, the number one reason why we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities is found in verse one. He says, every person is to be subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God or because There is no authority except from God. So the number one reason that we as believers subject ourselves to the governing authority is because all authority ultimately comes from God. God rules sovereign over all things. I like what God said to uh, look. Turn with me to um, Isaiah 45. I want to show you this. Isaiah 45, the Lord speaking to Cyrus Cyrus was a non, he wasn't Jewish. He was the the ruler of the Medes or Persians. And this is what God says to Cyrus about Cyrus's leadership. This is going to demonstrate just one aspect of God's sovereignty, or ultimate aspect of God's sovereignty over all things. Look at what he says. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, right away saying that Cyrus, I've anointed you. Meaning, I've chosen you to do something. Look at what he says. Whom I've taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the, ki- the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honors, and I've given you you to be king for a certain reason. Again, showing his sovereignty even over nations who do not recognize him. He says this, though you have not known me. Cyrus wasn't a believer. Cyrus wasn't from the nation of Israel. He said, you didn't even know me, but I've chosen you for this very task. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of their sun, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity, I am the Lord who does all these things. Just one very vivid. I, I like Isaiah. He's just very vivid in describing the Lord's sovereignty over a foreign nation. God is the one ultimately in control of all things, whether they are believers or not. So number one reason is all authority comes from God. Number two God has established governing authorities. God is a God of order, as I mentioned. God created governments. Now, men and women obviously can go awry, just like you and I do. We have our free will. But God established it, just like God established the church authority. God established marriage a certain way, and men and women, because of their sinfulness, corrupt those things. The same thing happens in government. But from a practical standpoint, God ordered things to be so. God established the governing authorities. And let me take you back to the Old Testament again and look at the prophet Daniel starting in chapter 4. Where Daniel explains this. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 17, just one verse. He says this. in speaking about the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind, all mankind, and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. So God establishes governments. He puts in place who he wants to put in place. Again, whether they're godly or ungodly. God says, I have a plan that I'm working out for all mankind. And I put people in the places that they're in. Proverbs 8 verses 14 through 17. I'd like to read this as well. Also speaking about God's sovereignty and God establishing rule over this world. He says this, Proverbs 8, verse 14. Counsel is mine, this is God speaking, Sound and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me find me. So ultimately, God is in control of all things. so all the governments of this world, evil or not, are established by God, and those people that are in authority are ultimately owe their authority to God. God put them there for a reason. We might wonder, well, why would you do that, Lord? God has his sovereign decrees, and he's doing something obviously that we cannot see. Maybe you think, well, I wouldn't put that person in leadership. Well, obviously, God says, I put even the lowliest of people in leadership for his purposes. God has established the governing authorities. So going back to our text now, look at verse 2. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Rebelling against the authorities that are in charge... Scripture tells us that we're ultimately rebelling against God's order. You're opposing the ordinances of God if you're opposing or rebelling against those governments. And you will receive the consequence of your opposition. Continually reading, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God says, if you oppose the authorities that I put in place, you will receive condemnation upon yourselves. So rebelling, if you're rebelling against the the established authorities, you're obviously in total disobedience, in total disregard for the government or leadership that God has put in place. Does this mean we blindly follow government orders, whatever the government says we have to do? Does this mean we have to do everything the government decrees? Is there a limit to what we can or what we should and shouldn't do as believers? I believe what this is talking about here at this moment is the overthrowing of government. Nowhere in Scripture is the overthrow of government uh, advised by believers. And we'll see that in more detail as we move along. But that's what it's talking about. You can't overthrow the government. If you try, you will suffer the consequences. You better hope you're successful because if not, you're going to suffer dearly. And ultimately, you're opposing the government that God has put into place. So, and first two reasons why we as subject ourselves to government authority or government rule is all authority comes from God and God has established those governing authorities that are in place. Thirdly, to avoid the wrath of God. Look at verses 3 uh, through 5. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. So if you do evil, then you should be afraid of the government. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Very practical advice. Then do what is good. Right? Do you, want, you don't want to be afraid of the police officer? Then obey the laws. The only people that are afraid of police officers are those who are normally breaking laws. Or the, or the government. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear a sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. And I read that whole section to show you how it's talking about One of the reasons we are in subjection to our government is because God's placed them for our good. And and then the other half is to avoid the wrath of God when you do evil. It's ordered. God put government and, uh, let's see, uh, law enforcement in place to kind of squelch the evil in this world. Imagine if we did not have law enforcement at all, the evil that would run rampant in our society, even more so. So rebelling against that brings about the punishment that's due to in, from injustice. And rebelling will bring about fear of authority. That's why he says do what is good and you will be praised and do what is evil and you will be afraid. Again, those who are continually looking over their shoulders are those who are guilty, aren't they? Look at 2 verses with me in the book of Proverbs. I like this one, Proverbs 28 Verse one says this: "The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Isn't that true? The person that's doing wrong is always looking over their shoulder, thinking somebody's after them because they're guilty. They flee when no one is even pursuing them. And, but I like this verse here. This is the opposite in, in stark contrast in Proverbs chapter three, verse 24. It says this, speaking of the righteous person, person, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. A righteous person, those who are not afraid of the government or the law, can sleep well. They're not worried that somebody's going to come in and take them or punish them. The two contrasts. One looking over the shoulder all the time, all the time, and the other person sleeping quietly because they haven't broken the law. There's nothing for them to be afraid of. So, to avoid the wrath of God is why, the third reason why we are in subjection to the government. <clears throat> okay. Rulers, go, let's go back to our text now. As I keep, if you keep noticing, I keep saying the wrath of God, they're avengers of God. If you look at verse 4 of our text again in chapter 13. He says, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, speaking of authorities, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. If you remember a few weeks ago when we were studying Romans chapter 12 and we were told not to exact our own revenge. Do you guys remember that? You know. Do uh, good unto those who do evil to you. Well, in Romans chapter 12, look at verse 19. Remember, God said this. Never, or Paul wrote this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Well, one of the ways that the Lord repays evil or injustice is using government authorities that we just read about in verse 5. That's why it says... They are ministers of God avenging the evildoers. We let the authorities take care of those who are doing evil. We don't form vigilante posses and go out and you know hang people on our own. We let the order that God has put in place run its course. That's what we do. So again, an explanation for the reasons why we as believers are in subjection to the governmental authorities are number one, all authority comes from God. Number two, to avoid, um, excuse me, yeah, God has established government authorities, and number three, to avoid the wrath of God. And fourthly, and lastly, as this is found in verse five, which I read a few minutes ago, for conscience sake. Well, what does that mean, for conscience sake? Basically, what this means is because we know, as believers, this is God's will and desire for us. As we've just read, this is what God tells us to do. It's in our conscience as believers. Uh, the apostle Peter wrote in first Peter chapter two. turn there with me and, and actually hold your finger here because we're going to go over this text a few more times because this is another text that talks about how believers are to rate, uh, relate to authority. First Peter chapter two, verse 13 says this, submit yourselves to. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So this is what I mentioned where the the emperor sends out people to exact his orders. That's what we're talking about there. For such is the will of God. How many of you want to know the will of God? We all do, right? The will of God is that we obey the government authority. So when you don't obey them, you're breaking the will of God. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So for conscience sakes is because we know this is what we're supposed to do. It's in our conscience. There's something inside of us that tells us that's the right thing to do. Well, it's the will of God that we do it as well. This is the desire by God for the believers. So, those are the four reasons why we submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Now, the question comes, well, how do we actually do that? How does that practically play out in our lives? Well, go back to our text, but keep a finger here in 1 Peter. In our text, in Romans chapter 13, the last two verses, 6 and 7, explain this. This is the application part. He says, for because of this, because of what? Because of all that we just said about obeying government authorities. Because of this, you also pay taxes. Dang it. You pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes due, Custom to who Custom. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So how do we subject ourselves to the governing authorities? Number one, pay our taxes. The Bible says it. No way out of it. So he says this in two ways. Render a tax to whom taxes due, and custom to who custom. Taxes is speaking of income or property taxes. That's part of what our government has put into place, therefore, to obey God and be in subjection to the governing authorities, we are to pay taxes. He also says, customs, to whom customs? And that probably is talking about either toll taxes or goods that are taxed as well. So the question, well, what if they unjustly tax us? What if the taxes are too high? What does the Bible say about that? What did Jesus say in Matthew twenty-two, fifteen 15 and 20, or fifteen, 22? I'm sorry, Matthew 15. Let me start over. Matthew 22 and verses 15 through 22. I just want to point out one thing. Remember when they were testing Jesus to catch him and they showed him, uh, they said, hey, are, should we pay taxes? What did Jesus say? Anybody? Render to Caesar the things thank you that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus didn't say, no, don't pay those taxes. They're unjust. They're not fair. We didn't vote on it. We didn't elect that person into, into office, and he did that without my understanding. I didn't understand that proposition. No. He says, you pay taxes. The government's there. We pay taxes to the government. So one of the ways that we subject ourselves to the government, or why, or how we do it, is to pay the taxes. I'm sorry, I wish it wasn't there, but it is, and therefore we do it. What else? How else do we uh, put ourselves into subjection? The rest of verse 7. Fear, to whom fear, and honor, to whom honor. What is this speaking about? Well, the first one about taxes was the physical thing. The outward manifestation of our subjection. The next one is our attitude. Have a good attitude toward our rulers. Fear can also be translated respect. Because of their, their position that God has given them, we're to respect them. You're like, well, they don't deserve respect. They're sneaky and crooked and whatever. God says, fear to whom fear. And then honor to whom honor. By virtue of the position they've been given by God, who's ultimately behind all things, right? Yes, he is. He's sovereign. We honor them and we respect them. Matter of fact, going back to our text in First Peter, look at verse 17 of chapter 2. In the context of uh, being in subjection to authority, he says this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and look at that last one, honor the king. He's not talking about King Jesus. In your Bible, it's a lowercase K. He's talking about the the emperor of Rome. Honor the king. And again, he's more wicked than any president that we've ever had, contrary to maybe somebody's opinion. Believe me, we don't want the emperors of Rome running our nation. And here he is, they full well know what kind of man he is, and he says, honor the king. So we as believers, by virtue of the position the rulers have, are to show them respect and honor. And if you go throughout the the New Testament, every time the apostles dealt with kings or governors, they were very respectful, even going into jail. We don't have time to go through all the stories, but... Think of all the times that the apostles were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. They went in there without, without any fight. They were honorable and respectful to the authorities as well. So in our text before us, it gives us two ways that we subject ourselves to the government. Again, number one, pay our taxes. And number two, have a good attitude towards those rulers but there's other things in the New Testament outside of this text that address how we are to uh, subject ourselves to the governing authorities. And so we're going to look at those two as well. In, um, in verse 3 of our text, though, it tells us to be obedient, or obey the laws. Also, turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 1. Because this also talks about being obedient. Titus is another area that talks about um, how we are to relate to government. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Speaking to the believers about godly living, the Apostle Paul writes Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. So we as believers are to obey the laws of the land, we're to be obedient. And furthermore, this is a witness to our faith. Go back to our text in 1 Peter, as I told you to keep a finger there. Because look at this verse in the context of as being a witness to our faith. Look at what the uh, Apostle Peter writes. Subject yourself to the Lord's sake, or for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Look at this. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as freemen and do not use your freedom as covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Our testimony to this world that we live in partly is uh, clouded or glorified to a certain extent by the way that we obey the laws of our government. It's a witness to the rest of this world. Hey, when the rest of the world is complaining about the government, we as believers should just be obedient to it and honor it for conscience sakes for the glory of God because God has called us to do that. Again, even if you don't agree with the current leadership, obey the laws of the land. That's the way that we subject ourselves. And better yet, in First Timothy chapter two, here's another thing that we can all do, that we should do first: pray for those in authority. Look at what uh, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in First Timothy chapter two. He says this: First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. When's the last time, you don't need to tell me, that we prayed for our president? Not that he would be thrown out, but prayed for him. Or our governors, or our senators, or our congressmen, or congresswomen. When's the last time we prayed for the mayor of our city? This is what we're called to do as believers. For kings and all who are in authority, why? Look at what it says in verse 2 so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray that our presidents, pray for our leaders for to have wisdom and understanding and even salvation, so that we may live peacefully and have a tranquil life. We should be praying for our leaders. Another way that we can subject ourselves is to persevere under persecution. What do we, I started off this morning by saying, what happens if uh, we don't agree with our government? We don't like what they're telling us to do. And what happens, God forbid, if our government begins to persecute us for our beliefs? Are we allowed to overthrow them at that point? Again, Scripture doesn't tell us to do that. As a matter of fact, the overarching uh, theme about persecution is to do what? Persevere. To deal with it in a certain extent. And deal with it in such a way that you bring honor and glory to God. A matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples, if you're persecuted one, in one town, to do what? Flee. Go to the other one. He didn't say to uh, resist them and fight them and overthrow them. Those are what the zealots were doing. Jesus told his disciples to flee to the next town. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, the message of perseverance exudes the book of Revelation. Let me just show you a few examples. Go to Revelation chapter 2, and the letters that the Apostle John wrote to the first century churches, look at what he says to them. And I'm going to just run through this and skip in skip around in different letters to the churches here Romans or excuse me Revelation chapter 2 verse 3 he says and you have per, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary showing that the church in the first century was suffering persecution they persevered they've not grown weary drop down to verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes, meaning they were going through persecution, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Skip down to verse 9. To the next church at Smyrna. he says, I know your tribulation or persecution and your poverty, but you are rich in the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This church was suffering. Intense persecution. And what does he say to them? Skip down to verse, uh, let's keep going. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Don't fear. You're going to suffer something. You're going to suffer persecution. Matter of fact, he says, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Look at what he says. Be faithful until what? Until you overthrow them? No. Until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Drop down to verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is to another church. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas my witness my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Again, this church, three letters, three churches suffering persecution, and it just says to persevere. Drop down to verse 17. He says, and he who has an ear that I'm here with the spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, meaning you persevered, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone that no one knows but he who receives it. And then let's just look at one more. Drop down to verse 25 to another church. He writes, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron as the vessel of Of the potter are broken to pieces, also, or excuse me, as I also have received authority from my father. Again, just four instances in the book of Revelation at the very beginning where he's telling the church to do what in the midst of persecution? Persevere. Persevere. I I wish, like you, that we don't have that here in the United States. But it's a reality that has gone throughout the church history, throughout the history of our church. For 2,000 years, the church has been persecuted, and it's being persecuted in this world now. We thankfully do not experience that, but we're being told to persevere under persecution. So when the government begins to persecute us, we don't overthrow it. We either flee like the pilgrims did where they fleed their country, or we persevere. Now let me show you one more instance of this. In the book of Jeremiah, in verse tw- uh, chapter 29, verse 4. I really like this one. This is something I've, I don't ever remember reading before. So you remember when Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon. So here God's people go into slavery. What does God tell them to do in the midst of slavery? That's some persecution, Right? Jeremiah 29, look at verse 4. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, everyone that's been taken away from Jerusalem, whom I sent, God said, I sent you into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at this, verse 5. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce, take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. So he's saying just live normal in the midst of persecution. He doesn't tell them to do anything different. Matter of fact, he wants them to thrive. And look at verse 7, look at what he says. Seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. That's amazing. This is a culmination of everything that I just said about praying for your government, persevering in the midst of it. God tells Israel, who's in captivity in Babylon, they were taken in chains, he says, to thrive in the midst of persecution. Just live it up. Don't change the way you're living. And pray for the welfare of that city. Because God has a plan for them. He's going to bring them back if we continue to read. This is that famous verse down in verse 11 where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. This was applying to them who were living in the midst of persecution, in the midst of slavery. He told them to live. Give your daughters and sons in marriage. Prosper in the land for God's sake. Because he has a plan for you. And the same thing is true for each and every one of us. In the midst of whatever happens to our world, we are to continue to glorify God in it. Now let me close with this last thing. Is there ever a time, this is what we've all been waiting for, is there ever, not the end of the sermon, this part. <laughs> You're like, yeah, i will going close my Bible. My last point in eight parts and three subs, no, I'm just kidding. Is there ever a time that God calls us to bit, disobey the authorities? And the answer is yes. And here's some that I, that I found that I took from a, uh, a, uh, a, a journal, theological journal. Dr. Norman Geisler, you may or may not have heard of him, says this. And I don't have all the verses to give you because we just don't have time. But I can give them to you if you want later. Number one, when the government... This is when we could disobey the government. When the government prohibits the worship of God, you disobey them. When think of Daniel in the lions' den, they, right? He got thrown into the lions' den why? Because he was praying. He didn't disobey God. He just and he took it and he went into the lions' den. Number 2, when the government requires the taking of an innocent life, we are to disobey them. When the government requires the worship of idols, Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were told, at the blow, at the, when the music starts, you will bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And they didn't. And what happened to them? They were thrown into the fire. And God saved them. Number four, when the government commands prayers to a human. Could that happen? Maybe. Has it happened in some countries? Yes. Number five, when the government prohibits the propagation of the gospel. When they say you can no longer preach the gospel, we're to disobey them. Remember John and Peter in the book of Acts. They said whether you think it's right in your sight, you do that, you tell us to stop preaching, we're not going to do it. We're going to continue to preach. Number six, when the government demands the worship of a man as God. When the government, and this was going on in the first century, they were worshiping Uh, The Caesars as God, and it goes on to this day in certain countries, you are to disobey them. But unfortunately, what's going to happen when we disobey them? Be prepared to suffer for the penalty of disobedience to the government. Unfortunately, we could disobey the government when it comes down to obeying God or government, but we are going to suffer the persecution of that government. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, John and Peter all were thrown in some kind of prison or to be killed for their disobedience to the government. God doesn't say, well, if you disobey the government, I'm going to protect you. He might. We read through the book of Revelation, he just says, persevere, persevere. You can disobey the government on these instances and you won't be judged by God for it, but you will suffer the, the consequences of your disobedience to our government. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 11. About this very topic, he says this, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I pray that this never happens. I pray that the Lord returns before we ever have to suffer persecution for our belief. But if you believe in God and you follow God, persecution is promised to come at some point in our life. Will you persevere? We as Christian citizens are to obey our government, but to obey God most of all. And I'll close with this final quote that i took in from a a website uh ligonier's website it says this our default position as christians is to bend over backwards to be model citizens but when the demands of god's kingdom directly contradict the demands of the kingdom of men the mandates of our heavenly citizenship must win let's pray lord god we thank, we're thankful for your word, how it is so relevant to us. And Lord, you warn us of persecution that comes to your believers because this world is not our home. We have a heavenly citizenship. But in the midst of this, you tell us to glorify you, to be obedient servants so that we might be a witness for you to this world. And Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith that you would strengthen our resolve to follow you even in the midst of persecution, to make those hard decisions to do what's right, even when the rest of the world says it's not. Help us, Lord, to stay strong until the day that you return to take us home. We ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to live out lives that glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.